You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. Happy Easter! A couple of you guys knew how to respond to that. Everybody else is like, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, glad you guys are here this morning. I'm so excited for today. I'm so excited for what today represents, that we are indeed redeemed. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to start off with a little, uh, a little exercise. So you guys are going to talk back to me, okay? Don't do it the whole time, just during this part, okay? I'll be confused if you guys just keep talking back to me the whole time. Uh, but during this part, okay, I'm going to tell you somebody that's well-known, and I want you to tell me what they're well-known for, okay? When you think of Michael Jordan, basketball, basketball thank you, most of you, uh, Serena Williams, tennis, tennis. tennis. Matt Damon, Acting, Taylor Swift, Singing. breaking up, right. Uh, no, you guys were right, singing. Uh, so th- there's people who are, I, they find their identity in what they do, and then there's people who find their identity in who they're with, like Batman and Buzz and, what do you think? Oh, it was like a select few. That was the younger crowd I heard say that. Scooby and Sh- Do, yes, Scooby and Do. Tom and Jerry. Jerry, right? If any of those were on their own, I mean, other than, I guess, like the front ones, like Batman, like we all know Batman, but just Robin, you'd be like, where's Batman? What's he doing? You know, so there are some people who their identity is found in who they're with. And then there's people who um, their identity has changed based on what they've done, right? And so like these next ones, I don't want you to say it. Okay, listen, all right, we'll get in trouble, but I'm going to say a name and there's famous for multiple things, right? Like Michael Jackson, Right? Like, like, if you're older, you're like, I, I remember Michael Jackson being a musician, and then he got famous for being weird, right? You've got O.J. Simpson, that is one of the best running backs in NFL history. But that's not what he's going to be remembered for. Martha Stewart, for whatever she did before, I'm not really sure, but I know she went to prison, right? Like, I'm sure that's not what she set out to be remembered by. Sadly, the same is true for Bill Cosby. You know, that was heartbreaking for a lot of us to watch the, you know, kind of our our grandpa or our dad that we watched on TV so much and all that he's gone through recently. Their identity has changed because of their actions. But we can find our identity in all sorts of things in what we do, who we're with. Our Our identity might be decided for us based on what we've done. But Easter is a day that we celebrate what Jesus did because it impacted our identity impacted our identity. I think all of us, if I were to ask you the question, do you think you're a good person? Most everybody in the world, when you ask them that question, their answer is going to be yes. Yes, I think that I'm a good person. I'm not a bad person. When I look at my life, I'm not a bad person. But we also have these things in our lives that like, we would be kind of embarrassed if somebody found out, right? We have these parts of our lives that are that are kind of shameful, that if we look at it, we say, you know what, if I knew myself by those things, I probably wouldn't call myself good. We all have secrets. We all mess up. We all do things that we are ashamed of. Ephesians 5, 8 is one of my favorite verses about identity. It starts off with this reality, for you were once darkness. 
This is a sentence about identity. You were once darkness. It doesn't say you were in darkness. It doesn't say you were surrounded by darkness. It says you were darkness. This is an issue of identity. When we're born, we are born in darkness. You were darkness. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you are darkness. It's an issue of identity. We are not good. And I say that, and you might, you might have a, a kind of a reaction of like, what do you mean we're not good? And I'm going to point to some examples, right? Think about the people who are closest to you. Let's start at the top. Your parents, right? Like there's a time in your life, if you, even if you had great parents, there's this time in your life where you start to realize, wait a second, maybe they're not perfect. I still haven't reached that with my mother. My mother is still perfect. I don't know how old I'm going to be when I find out that she's not, but it'll be heartbreaking, I'm sure. Uh, I'm just kidding. I know my mom's not perfect. Don't worry. We have our parents, and, and you're, it might be a little easier for some of you that you look at your parents and you're like, yeah, I know. I know for a fact. Or even worse, your kids. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like kids, they learn everything. They pick up on so many things that you do. So many things that it's like they pick up and they, they take it. But you know what? Nobody had to teach my kids how to do. Nobody taught my kids how to be disobedient. They didn't learn that from me. I never once in all the times that I've ever talked to my kid, given them a, a command like it was an option, right? I've never said, hey, come here if you want. If you, yeah, like, if you don't want, you just stay over there and keep, keep jumping off things and punching people. That's fine if you want to. But I would like, I didn't do that, right? It's not a learned behavior, you know what else you don't have to teach a kid how to do? Be selfish. They're, those are the most selfish things on the whole planet, children. They do not care about you. They don't care that you're asleep. They, they don't care that you're in the bathroom. They're going to stick their fingers under the door and wiggle them. Right? They do not care. These are the most selfish things in the, on planet Earth. So if you want more evidence of who is darkness, that we are all born into this sinful state. And for those of you who, I'm about to say this when you'd be like, oh yeah, for sure. Those of you with siblings, nobody got to tell you they're bad, right? You learn that real quick. If you've got siblings, you know that's the person that you struggle to see the good in them at all, right? We were all born into darkness, but what happens is that for ourselves, right, we put on these rose-colored glasses. Then when we're looking at other people, we're like, That's, they're, they're, you know, they got their problems, right? But me, like, if, if we were to ask me, I'm a, I'm a good person. All of a sudden, when we're looking at ourselves, we decide that we're a good person. So I think one question that we have to ask is what makes the standard of good, right? Like if we're all, if I'm, if I'm up here telling you, you are darkness, right? It's like, okay, well, what does that mean, right? What, what does that mean? Because we have to realize that there has to be a standard of good. If we want to believe that there is an afterlife, if you believe that there is a heaven and there is an earth that, or, and, and a hell, sorry, there is an earth. We all know that, right? If you want to believe that there is pretty close to hell a lot of the time, uh, if you want to believe there is a heaven and a hell, you have to believe in some sort of standard of good. Now, a lot of people will say, uh, a lot of the world will tell you that it's, it's up to you, right? Like, it, it's whatever you believe is is your standard of good. Well, my question would be, what about those people who do evil things and feel absolutely no remorse? 
There's nothing wrong with me doing that, right? There's nothing wrong if I go in and, and shoot up a school. It's, it's a, it, we're, we're all just atoms in, in chemistry, right? Like, it doesn't matter. If that person doesn't, does that make them good? No. Nobody in their right mind would say, well, you know, because their conscience was clear, they're fine. You know, they probably get to go to heaven. No. So it can't be up to the individual to determine what is good, right? Because we just talked about how we see ourselves through these robes colored glasses and we kind of think that we are good no matter what. So then, and it can't be up to, to culture and society, right? Because at one time, there was a culture in society that said, you know what's a good thing? To treat people poorly based on the color of their skin. That's totally fine. Not a big deal at all. So it can't be determined by just like what is culturally acceptable and culturally known as good. That can't be who determines what's good either. So we, we end up with this question of like, okay, if we have good and bad, what's the, what's the standard? I'll tell you what determines the standard is the creator, Right? Anytime you play a board game, you don't go, well, let's just figure out the rules as we go. Whatever you decide the rules are, those will be the rules. No, you look at, you open up the book, <laughs> and you look at what the creator told you the rules are, right? Pretty, pretty self-explanatory concept. So in the Old Testament, there are 613 commands that he gave to the people of Israel. And he said, here it is. Here's the standard of good. Here's the standard of good. And, and these are not just arbitrary laws that, that, uh, that God made up. This is not, it's not something that he decided and that he can change his mind and say, you know what, this used to be good, but now I changed my mind. It's not, it's not going to be good. These laws, this standard of good that God created and, and handed to us is a reflection of the character of God. It is a reflection of his character. So it's not necessarily saying, hey, these are the things I want you to do. These are the things I want you to not do. It's this is what it looks like to be me. This is what it looks like to live in a place where you are the same as me. This is what my expectation is for you. That standard of good is not just these arbitrary rules made up by some guy in the sky who decided, I want you to be in trouble if you use a bad word, right? Like that's not, that's not what it is. These are reflections of his character that he handed to us. If you want more evidence that people are bad I'm going to look, show you that we couldn't even follow one rule. When we started, we couldn't follow one rule. We're going to be in Genesis 3 if you want to open up your Bibles. Uh, we're going to hang out there for just a minute if you want to be there with us. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen. This is everything's just been created. God just finished making everything. And it tells us that story again in chapter 2, kind of in a little bit more detail. And we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You'll not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, those all sound like good things, right? Like when we, we look at what's good and what's bad, what she's seeing is like, this looks like it's good. I mean, it's also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Couldn't even keep one rule. One rule. How many times do you feel like you've said that to your kids? I gave you one rule. I gave you one rule and you couldn't keep that one rule? Because Eve bought into the lie that God's best wasn't good enough. The lie that she herself knew better. And I say she, and I'm blaming Eve because, in reality, she did eat it first, but I'm also not letting Adam off the hook. Like, he was standing there the whole time, and for some reason, he didn't go, hey, this is a bad idea. Remember, this is the rule. Like, you probably shouldn't eat this. He's just going along with it like a dummy. And so, the lies of the enemy that we see here in Genesis, that he started it all with a lie, have continued to corrupt us. We still, we still, he still tells us lies like God was wrong. He's outdated. He doesn't know what's best. He doesn't care about you. He has much more important things to worry about than you. All these lies have have seeped into humanity and they have rotted us. They have rotted us. We are darkness. You are darkness darkness. We are lost. And we keep trying to fix it on our own, right? We keep trying to think that we can fix it. Brokenness cannot fix brokenness. So when the world comes up to solutions for problems, it's just going to be imperfect, right? These are imperfect people coming up with imperfect solutions. As Christians, we can't become complacent with trying earthly solutions to spiritual problems, and that's what we've done, is we've become, be, sorry, talking too fast. Oh, we've become complacent with worldly solutions to spiritual problems. Of all people in the whole world, we should understand that what the world needs isn't more legislation, it's not more regulations, it's not more or less government interference. The solution is Jesus. The solution is Jesus. You pick any major issue that we're trying to solve, we're trying to address, and the, the real solution is Jesus. Any crimes. You pick any crimes that are committed, and the problem is that they're not trusting that God is going to take care of this thing, so they're going to take it into their own hands. I don't trust that God is going to provide for me what I need, so I'm going to go steal it. I don't trust that God is going to protect me, so I need to protect myself and go kill somebody. Whatever it could be, the solution is Jesus. It's we didn't look to the actual solution for the problem. We're trying to fix worldly problems, sorry, spiritual problems with worldly solutions. People go into debt, they become addicted to substances because they're trying to fill a hole that can only be filled by God. People get abortions because they think that what happened is a mistake and not a life. The issue is not legislation. The issue is teaching them about Jesus. People have issues with their identity because no one has told them that your identity is not found in who you love, what you wear, your job, your house, the success of your kids, the success of your grandkids. Your identity is that you are created in the image of God and you, who has unrelentingly pursued you and you are loved by a God who is willing to sacrifice his own son to have have a relationship with you. The world's problems aren't because they need more of the world's solutions. The world's problems are because they need a heavenly solution. The world needs Jesus. 
The other day, <laughs> Zeke, he thinks he's stronger than he is. And if you talk to my son, he's four. If you talk to him at all, he will... He took his shirt off in Sunday school the other day because he wanted to show everybody his muscles. Like, that's his thing right now. He's strong. So the other day, he picked up a bowl trying to be helpful, right? He is trying to be helpful. And he picked up a bowl. Now, he then later told us that he tried to, like, put it over his head because that's how you carry all heavy things, right? So he picked up a bowl, and then he dropped it, and it shattered. And he came sprinting to us, weeping, apologizing. Mommy, Daddy, I'm so sorry. Mommy, Daddy, I'm so sorry. And at first, I didn't even know what happened. I was like, what, what happened? Sorry, what are you sorry for, first of all, right? I was in the other room because obviously I wouldn't have let him do this, okay? I'm not, I'm not that kind of parent that I was like, this can't go wrong at all. Um, <laughs> I'm the kind of parent that was just not paying attention to my kid. Um, so what happened is he could have tried to hide it, right? He could have tried to be like, oh, I got to throw all this away. Hope mom and dad just never noticed this bowl that I've broken. He could have tried to fix it himself, but he's four. And a four-year-old trying to fix a ceramic bowl, it's not like in his wheelhouse of skills. We, didn't, we haven't taught him that yet. Probably never will. <laughs> so he had to accept the fact that he had done something wrong and come to his father and say, I'm sorry, I need help. The same thing is true for us. What we can do is we can either do what we've done for a while and just tell ourselves that we aren't that bad, I, what I've done, the things I've done, it's, it's not that bad. I'll just deal with the consequences when, whenever that time comes, that's when I'll deal with it. Or we can do our best to fix ourselves, but when the pressures of the world get to us, we're just going to break under the pressure. Or we can go to the potter, accept the consequences, say, I need to be made new. So he made us new. And this is how he made us new. This is from Mark chapter 15. They clothed him in a purple cloak. Twisting it together, a crown of thorns, they put it on him. They began to salute him, obviously sarcastically. Hail, king of the Jews. They were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. They compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews... They crucified him with two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. When the sixth hour came, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. What means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. 
Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. God sent his son knowing that it would result in a painful death to take that punishment for us. He took that darkness on for us. That's why he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he had to be separated from the Father. He was separated from the Trinity for the first time in all of time. God, being bearing all of our sin, was separated from the Father. And he did that for you. He became darkness for you. But as we all know, that's not the end of the story, right? He didn't just die. We do not serve a dead God. Amen? Luke chapter 24, he says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in cloths that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. There there should have been a little bit more reaction to that. (laughs) Holy cow, it's Easter. Let's try that again. He is not here. He has risen. Amen. Amen. He didn't just take our sin and wipe us clean, but he changed everything. He made us clean forever. He wiped away our sin once and for all. My favorite explanation of the gospel comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It's not quite as catchy as John 3.16, but I wish people knew it more than John 3.16 because this one like fully captures everything. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I get it. There's a lot of pronouns in there. We got to figure out who all them hymns is, right? We gotta, I don't know who he's talking about. So I'm going to ask you these questions. You guys can do this. I promise. For our sake, that's us, right? You guys got that one. He, who is he? God. Made him, Jesus, to be sin. He made Jesus to be sin. Whoa, first of all. But then it continues to tell us that he knew no sin. So this is the Jesus who did not ever sin, but it was created to be sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Let that sink into you this morning. You are the righteousness of God. That is incredible news, especially when I started this morning with you were darkness, right? Like that's a long way to go from you were darkness to you're now the righteousness of God. And that's the second half. I teased you a little bit earlier. That's just half of the verse from Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five, it says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You are light. You are light. You are no longer broken. 
You don't have to fix yourself or rely on the broken solutions that the world is trying to offer you. This is an issue of identity. Your identity is that you are made new. Because of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, your identity should be found inside that empty tomb. When you think about yourself, when you're writing your Instagram bio, when you're uh, c- coming up with a resume, the signature of your email address that you're trying to like, let me tell somebody something about myself. What is your, your idea of your identity? Your main identifier is no longer husband, wife, single, mother, father, employee, boss, bulldog fan, American, Republican, Democrat, musician, gamer, black, white, rich, poor. You are a child of God ransomed by the king of the universe himself. You are loved. You are light. But we still lean on finding our identity in these other things. And again, I'm not saying that these are not good things. These can be good things, and it's still wrong for us to find our identity in these things that are, that are good, because that's not what our identity are, is in. Our identity is in the sentence, he is risen. That is where I, our identity comes from. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You're not like the light of the world. You're not kind of the light of the world. You're not surrounded by the light of the world. You are the light of the world. So, shine bright. Shine bright. You were darkness. Now you are light. So, shine bright into a dark world. The world doesn't need more darkness. Amen? It's got plenty. It's why we turn to Jesus in the first place. As we were tired of trying to find light solutions in a dark world. We said, I can't, none of this is doing it. None of it's cutting it for me anymore. I need something different. I need something that the world cannot offer me. So we turned to God in the first place. So don't try to shine from yourself, right? Don't try to shine yourself and say, I'm this great. I've done all these things because nobody cares, first of all. Second of all, that's not going to make an impact. You know what there's no such thing as? Bright darkness, not a thing. It's either dim, light, or bright, or dark. There's no, like, you can't, like, add darkness to something, right? Does that make sense? So why would we try to showcase the dark things of ourselves and say, you know what? Jesus, yeah, he was good. He's what changed me, whatever. But let me tell you about all these good things I've done. Nobody cares. That didn't actually do anything in the first place. The more we find our identity in Jesus, the brighter we will shine. The more you spend time in the presence of God, the more it will change you. One of my favorite examples of this is in the book of Exodus that Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. And it's a regular thing, right? He keeps taking these trips up to talk to God because Israel was too scared to go up there themselves. So now Moses has to go up there. Anyway, it's a whole thing. We did a series on Exodus. Go listen to it. If, if you, anyway, it was good and interesting. So Moses goes up there. And then he comes back down, and his face was literally glowing, like was giving off light. And so he had to like cover his face because everybody was freaked out by it, right? Like they're like, "What? Is, your face is glowing, Moses." He's like, "Sorry, I guess it's the glory of God." Let me apologize for bringing that down to you, I guess. And so 
Him spending time in the presence of God made him shine brighter. And then one of my, one of my all-time favorite illustrations of, of what spending time with God means is Moses would go to a tent called the tent of meeting. And it says that he talked to God face-to-face as you would talk to a friend. And so he's in this tent talking to God, and people would wake up to go look at the tent and worship. The presence of God is going to make an impact on those around you. The more you are spending time in the presence of God, it's going to have this effect of making you shine brighter. If you are light now, the more time you spend with God, the brighter you will shine. You want to know the best way that we can live a life that shines bright to the world around us? It's the verse we all memorize every week. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says what? You put it up too early. There's the cheat sheet. I know. I, we didn't talk about it before. That's, that's my fault. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says what? Do everything in love. That's how we shine. That's how we shine, y'all, is, is we do the things we do. Everything on our life is either done to bring glory to God and to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, or it is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Everything is done in our lives in love. That is how we shine our light into a dark world. And it's not from your own ability to love, right? Because that's not enough. That's not enough. It wasn't enough to save you to begin with. It is when he uses the word love here, it is that agape love, that love that only comes from a God who sacrificed his son for you. That's the source of the love. It's the source of the light. We can't do it on our own. Otherwise, we're just shining more darkness into darkness, right? Or trying to, because you can't do that, you know? We can't just do these things in love and hope that that's going to be enough because Romans 10, 17 tells us, consequently, faith comes from what? Hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Salvation doesn't come because somebody was really nice to you one time. Salvation doesn't come because we stopped somebody, we stopped and helped somebody on the side of the road fix their car, send them on their way. That's not what salvation comes from. Salvation comes when we are telling people about Jesus, when we are telling them the source of our light. We have to tell them that we aren't in darkness anymore because we have a God who is so infinitely powerful and yet so intimately caring that he sent his son to take the punishment for everything wrong we ever did. He died. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and now we get credit for the life that he lived on earth. And we get to spend eternity in the perfection that our souls are longing for in heaven because of what happened on Easter. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you that we are now light. God, that because of Jesus and what he did for us, that we are no longer stuck trying to find something that's going to help us, something that's going to fix us, the temporary thing here on earth. But God, we can come to our heavenly father. We can come to the potter and say, I need to be made new. And God, that you love us enough to not just leave us in our filth and not just leave us in the darkness. 
but to make us light. To make us the righteousness of God is an incredible privilege. God, I pray that you would help us to shine that light to the world around us, that we would do everything in love that everything in our life would be out of love for you or love for the people around us or both. God, we would stop trying to make earthly solutions, fix heavenly problems, fix spiritual problems, but we would seek our heavenly Father who has already given us this gift of salvation, that God, we are redeemed. We praise you and we worship you for that. It is in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.